So a uh, on-the-road episode of our podcast from Howell, Michigan, here in Livingston County, just up north from Ohio, my home state. We just had a great event with a fellow group of patriots who care deeply about this country. I'm in an inspired mood coming out of it. And in the audience was somebody who I literally met on Twitter. And I met on Twitter because actually my wife sent me a number of her tweets. The way it works right now is like, I, I, it's like a water, it's like Niagara Falls. And so I don't usually uh, check all the posts and dialogue that show up on social media. It's random occasion. I'll see one. My, my wife somehow, is, you know, occasionally checks them out as well and said, this is someone serious. She's calling you out on some things that I think you need to hear. And she's not just some troll. She's a serious person. I think you should talk to her. And so I found, I replied to one of those tweets and I said, let's have a conversation. Do you want to come on the podcast? And I think many people would have said, well, I don't know about that. You know, let's shy away from open debate. But she actually immediately took me up on the offer, which I respect. We're here in Michigan right after the event, but we're going to have a conversation about actually free speech and open debate means hearing not just those who agree with you, but those who actually disagree with you too. I brought my notebook for a reason because I'll keep an open mind and heart. I think that's what we actually need a little bit more of in our country. I also think that social media reduces our dialogue to a place that's designed to actually divide. And I think it's a big part of where as nationally divided as we are today is that 280 characters on a site that algorithmically amplifies that which you're supposed to actually get addicted to. That's actually part of what's ruined our civic discourse in this country. And so I think we've got to practice what we preach a little bit, not just complain about that problem, but get back into the 3D world, something that I think can actually be good for our national civic culture too. And so in that spirit, Christy, it's, we're meeting in person in 3D for the first time after some, a couple of exchanges that we had on Twitter. I'm looking forward to, to hopefully learning from you, but to having a conversation that's of a kind that I think we need more of in this country. So thanks for agreeing to come on. Thanks for traveling to, to be here at the event with us. And I'm looking forward to this conversation. I agree. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you for your wife for extending the offer. So so um, I'll, I'll just get right into it with you. I think there was, there was there's a few things that I said that you disagreed with. Right. And I think that our, our pledge was to talk about it. it. It's been a little bit of a while for me. We just came out of this event. Bring me back into that moment. Bring us back into that moment. What were some of the statements that I made that that you took issue with? And then let's get it more importantly into the substance and the underlying realities. Sure. So if I can start by saying when you declared and came on the scene, there were a lot of us that were excited. I am an America first um, Republican. Good. And okay. I do believe in building the party. I want to build the party. I started Swing Your Vote. It's a 501c4. And my intent is to bring people from the Democratic Party. I'm a walk away. I want to bring other people. It might be a bridge too far to tell them to, you know, come be Republican, but at least swing your vote, become independent and let the parties fight for you. So I was so upset because when you, the, the clips that are showed online, you stand in my way <laughs> of attracting people to the party because they tend to be a little harsh and they tend to be a little divisive. And specifically, um, when you talk about Black absent fathers, um, you had Alec Lace on your podcast, and he really set the record straight, and he gave you the statistics 
the 70% of absent Black fathers that you um, consistently cite, that's not the right statistic. Okay. It's actually um, 59.5% of Black dads live in the home. Now, what's happening is they're not buying into marriage like they should be. I come from a long line. I've, I've traced my roots, you know, five, six generations back. Everyone except for one is mar- has been married. My mm-hmm. parents have been married my whole life. But nowadays what's happening is kids are, people are living together, but they're not getting married. I agree. That's a problem. Okay. We need traditional family homes is what, you know, I preach. So we're on the same my, page there. Okay. We're on the same, we're on the same page. But when you cite the 70% of absent black fathers, that's actually a racial trope. That's not so true. You, so the number is on your math, 41%. Not my math. Oh, or the, it's, yeah, it's according the cur- to the CDC. 41%. Yes. That, it's, can, can we just pause on that? Let's, let's just stipulate for the purpose of this conversation that that 70% number is wrong. Mm-hmm. Do you think that there's still a worthy conversation to have about that 41% number? Well, I think we also need to go into the fact that, um, again, Alex Lay said it's an across the board. All it is. races, right? It's 25% actually across the board, which is 25 a big to 27 across yeah. the board of single moms. So I think if you do it in that context, it's not offensive because you're not singling out black fathers. Also, this is one more quick yeah. statistic. When black fathers are in the home, it's shown that they are the most active with their children, especially young. They cook. They have time to change diapers. They have time to read. They're higher than even um, Asian households or you know, white households. They are active fathers when they are in the home. So I think you do I, a disjustice. I actually I, that 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 resonates with me because it's not just showing up; it's about showing up and, and and the actual presence that you bring to the table. How do they measure that? Or or, or you know, you started listing some of the criteria, like criteria like that. Mm-hmm. Do you how participate CDC, in diaper changes? How know? does the CDC measure it? Yeah, for example, like when you say they're the most active in the home, it's interesting to me. Mm-hmm. What does that mean? I mean, I would guess they would poll I'll it. Look into but it. I know, yeah. you know, from what I've seen, and I think they probably measure it by um, the amount of time in the home. So, for instance, you know, maybe their jobs lend more to them working a nine to five so that they're home. So, can I let you know where I'm coming from on sure. this? Because um, I think it's important that you at least understand where I'm coming from to be able to maybe help me channel what I'm trying to accomplish in a way that accomplishes a goal that you and I share in common, which is, I I could care less for the the politics of the Republican Party, but bring people along in the pro-American movement to actually revive this country. So so I put a special emphasis, I do, um, at times on Black Americans, absence of economic mobility, absence of educational empowerment and advancement precisely because we live in a moment, especially for the last 60 years since Johnson, but now in particular, that places such a policy emphasis on race conscious policies. And so much of Lyndon Johnson's great society, what he took credit for, he boasted about it, was actually empowering black Americans through the great society and a lot of the financial aid he made available. Affirmative action was specifically put into place to help black Americans. I think now we see, you know, COVID aid policies even being discussed as to being race conscious and how they're distributed. You're probably more familiar, at least as familiar as I am with the spread of race conscious policies across America. The point that I am making is that those policies have been disastrous 
for everyone, not just white or Asian people who are the subjects of so-called reverse racism and reverse discrimination, but the data would suggest are also bad for black Americans too in different ways. And so if we didn't have this sort of race conscious epidemic in the country, I would have no reason to and would not be calling out any statistics that have to do specifically with black Americans. And it's a shame and it makes me a little sad to know that, you know, if I've been communicating ways that make someone feel like I'm pinning blame on black Americans, that's not what I'm doing. I'm, pla I'm placing, I'm attempting to clearly, uh, you know, I can, I can reflect a little bit on how to do this a lot on how to do this more effectively, but placing blame on government policies that use race consciousness as a smokescreen to deflect accountability for their actual failures, even to the very black community that they profess to support. So that's where I'm coming from. And I just want you to know that not some sort of, I guess you would use the word trope. Well, uh, that's not, it's not the motivation at least. Again, speaking for, you know, a black conservative looking at the impact that you're having, one has to question why you bring up, because you bring it up a lot of black issues, but when you bring it up, it's usually to white audiences. And mm -hmm. so it, it's bad optics for one, mm -hmm. but for two, what is your, what are you doing for black outreach? If, if, if your goal is bringing up the metrics that are happening in the black community, we're in Michigan. Yeah. You know, I, D Detroit is right here. Let's do it. I'm in. Let's do it. So, I mean, I, I'm not, I don't, um, I'm in this to achieve the same goal you want to achieve. So I'm like hesitant to sort of like cite and like push back and like be defensive. Cause that's not the point. I want to, I want to improve. I want us to be better. But since you're asking just, you know, specifically, I, I mean, I think we're doing more than most Republicans do certainly go. I mean, I went to New England college, majority black, based on what I could see in the audience, at least showing up. I'm told that other Republican candidates don't go unless the questions are pre-screened. Well, you can't sit across the table from Xi Jinping if you're afraid of a 21-year-old college student. That's my rule of thumb, right? I went to a rural all-black church in South Carolina, which I'm told is mostly Democrats. We didn't ask about the partisan affiliation. We're showing up and I want to show up, right? I mean, I think that there's people working in this campaign, both Paid staff, proxies, advisors, volunteers, many of whom are, you know, black in, in the truest sense of in the truest sense of that word, many generations in. I just I personally don't pay a ton of heed and to the optics because I'd rather just speak truth at every step of the way to everyone. But if you're telling me that there's ways, if if you're if you'd be open, are you do you live in Michigan? No, I live in Arizona. You live in Arizona still. Okay. But you came here. Thank I you for that. I, I so appreciate that. <laughs> when we come to Arizona, but maybe even you know, while you're here in the short time, open up some channels for us in Detroit. Absolutely, we'll show up. And I think the people, you're right, human beings, whoever, whatever your skin color is, give you credit for showing up and being able to face somebody who may on the face of it subscribe to a different political partisan affiliation or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I believe human beings are open. We're not animals. We're open to persuasion. That's what makes us different from animals. Politicians in both parties view the general elections as, you know, how people are going to vote, not believing it as, as I think you do, that we can actually change it. So I'm very open to that. Mm -hmm. And 
And, and more I is would, good. I think, I, I think we're already doing some, maybe more than you give me credit for, but I don't want to be defensive. We'll do more of it. And I'm all in for it. <laughs> well, I think the images that we see on Twitter, right? Mm-hmm. And Twitter's not the gist of everything. It's not the, yeah. all that you do. But what we see on Twitter is you speaking mostly to small white audiences, but then you'll be throwing out these black statistics and the numbers are somewhat skewed. So it looks like you're trying to give red meat for the base mm-hmm. rather than actually impact the community that you're speaking about. Now, when you talk about affirmative action, you specify race-based affirmative action, but white women have been the number one benefactors of affirmative action. So why do you so, never mention that? Say more about that. I mean, that's the, that's the fact. I mean, when you, mm-hmm. when you mention affirmative action, you limit it to race-based, but affirmative action in general has benefited statistically white women the most. Mm-hmm. So in employment, in jobs. So look, I'm all in for in- merit. I don't want any, I mean, sexual orientation is a really popular one now too. Uh, you know, that is a particularly peculiar one because until very recently, you weren't even allowed to ask about sexual orientation. So how could you actually have sexual orientation favorable policies unless you ask about it? So I'm but all in for revival of merit. But do you limit it to race-based? And it's not just affirmative action and you discount. Well, I I'm not going to limit it to race. I don't limit it to race based. I, I, don't, I don't know how far back of my background you're aware of, but NASDAQ, for example, I was, I was the only critic in this country publicly of it. NASDAQ adopted a rule saying that a public company could not list on NASDAQ unless they actually had a diverse board on three axes, race, gender, and sexual orientation. So- one of their reasons for doing it is they say they wanted to foster diversity of thought in the boardroom. What I said is, if you want diversity of thought, why not actually add, and somebody actually put up a proposal to this effect, disability status, veteran status, et cetera, to the list. They rejected that because they said that that would have the effect of not advancing the desired forms of diversity. So I'm against all of that. Okay. I'm against today in your, in I'm your dead set against speech, all that. Yep. Today, you specifically said race-based. Well, so that's what caught that's my Johnson's, that I think Lyndon Johnson's executive order was specifically race conscious in that respect. So when I think about okay. what a president can do, I think what I said in there is because that's something a president can do. What I mean by that is we take a pen and we cross out that executive order. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, 11246 is a very specific executive order implemented by Lyndon Johnson. Those broader policies are going to require legislation. Those broader policies are going to require cultural change. One of the things that's hard about being a president is that there's limits on what you can do, but but that's in the narrow sense where I was focused there. But if somebody's going to talk about gender quotas or sexual orientation quotas, I'm dead set against it. So I think it sounds like we might be on the same page on that. Yeah, we're on the same page in most things. It's just the manner that it's delivered as applied to the group of people that I'm trying to attract to at least become independent. It gets in the way of your message. Can I ask you kind of a, a just like an open, opening up kind of question here? Because sure. I just think the nature of like what struck me was how heartfelt some of your commentary was. Mm-hmm. And, and Twitter is a hard medium to get heart across through, but it came across to me. I felt like we made contact, even though it was through this complex, disintermediated, you know, internet thing. You're framing this conversation in terms of a goal-oriented point of bringing along other people, and that's a good goal. I'm sensing a little bit of personal hurt in there too. Am I wrong about that? Or do you feel like there was some element of feeling personally hurt by the things I was saying, or is it just a tactical point that you would make? 
I don't know if hurt is the right okay. word. I think annoyed. Okay. <laughs> would probably be closer uh-huh. to it, mainly because I've been reaching out to say Rana or, you know, different people in local my Arizona. What are, you know, America first? What are Republicans, what's the RNC doing for minority outreach? Why are we surrendering the cities to the Democrats? They just had a race in um, Chicago and we didn't even put up a Republican candidate. It's like we've abandoned the cities. Now, I'm from, I'm actually from Ohio. Are you? Yeah. I'm I'm from Huber Heights. Okay. Right. I was, I was raised in Huber Heights. We moved out to California. Almost born and raised. Yeah. uh, Yeah. Well, the first 10 years of my life. And then we moved to California. So I'm definitely from the suburbs, but I take what's going on in the city to Mm -hmm. heart because someone has some, everyone can't just abandon um, the cities. But I'm also, I've spent a lot of time, I spent spent the past four years in Mississippi. So I also recognize when you talk about the revival of America, I guess I don't feel the same way because I feel like America is the greatest country on earth. Like in my day to day, I get pushback from other black people because I say in my day-to-day life, I don't experience racism on a daily basis, right? I think, you know, I get along with my neighbors. It's on Twitter where I fight with people, right? Um, Most people don't care about politics in in their day-to-day life. I did a poll though, right? So I, I promised my Twitter people that I would do this. I did a poll and I said, what are the number one issues that you're facing? What are the number one problems? They said the economy. So as to what a president can do, I know that you have your overarching theme of a revival and, you know, explaining what an American is, but we really want you to lean into the nuts and bolts of what Vivek is going to do. And especially, you know, you're up against Donald Trump. So how is your presidency going to be different? Let me tick these off real quick, just because I promised them they would. Okay. I would. Economy issues, because Americans are hurting. Mm -hmm. School choice, right? Dual track education. So again, this is another area. Love it. I know what you mean. When you're talking about um, black and brown in cities, the number one thing is education, the school to prison pipeline, right? But if you take dual track education into the schools, a kid can come out and he can come out with skills skills that he he can then be immediately employable. And these kids now... They don't have to be bored. They can come out, they can make jobs, and that will solve a lot. Definitely the nuclear family. But Mm -hmm. as a president, there's not much that you can do. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Let's actually... So, so let me let me let me uh, speak to the first element of that, uh, the economy piece. And then I have a question for you about the last point on the nuclear family. Sure. So, So on the economy piece, I mean, you heard me a little bit in there today. I think the next president has both the responsibility and the ability... To deliver economic growth. In fact, the thing that frustrates me about both parties is nobody's talking about GDP growth, which is our single most unifying way out of our economic morass, not cutting Social Security, not having to adopt some tax increases that put us on that further path of national decline. Energy is the number one input into the economy, number one input to inflation. It's self-inflicted. We tell ourselves here that we can't emit carbon in this country, but are perfectly fine with carbon emissions halfway around the world in places like China, where, by the way, methane leakage is worse than it is worse than it is in the United States. And methane is supposedly 80 times worse for global warming than carbon dioxide. We're hostile to nuclear energy, which is the actually single greatest form of carbon-free energy production known to mankind, let alone drilling fracking coal. There's a coal plant in Illinois that's about to go after bus- out of business. 
even though the only thing it sends out is actually steam, H2O, just because we've gone in this fetishized habit. Unleash American energy. That's the first element of GDP growth. Number two is putting people back to work. We have paid people to stay home for a long time. Any business in this country, the number one obstacle to growing right now is people at work. And look, I, I, you know, some of this gets pretty technical so much that I get criticized for it. But you know, look at my last piece in the Wall Street Journal last week about Federal Reserve reform. I, I have one That's how you comment. actually unlock the economy. Because you're brilliant. That's obvious. I don't right? know about that, but you're, I'm sharing you with my beliefs are. Yeah. <laughs> but Donald Trump has been there and done that, right? He was awesome for our economy. So I think it's going to be years. a hard lift to say, trust Vivek, who's never held office, versus Donald Trump, who's the tried and true, who everybody across the board, African-Americans, anybody did better under the Donald Trump presidency. I think so what's tried and true. how are we going to yeah. trust you? There's going to be a period of time that you're going to have to learn. You've never been in public office before. Mm -hmm. And this is a year-long process, a year-and-a-half-long process for a reason. It's a, good, it's a good question. I think it's what everyone's going to have to ask themselves. I think the tried-and-true model, actually, is putting the outsider in the White House. I think it takes that outside perspective to have complete disrespect and complete a, a good kind of disregard for the norms of the way it's always been done. And I think you go from being the outsider to eventually becoming part of the establishment. Eight years in, I probably will be too. You got fresh blood that comes along, you pass on that torch and move on. Donald Trump did a great job on creating a Supreme Court that agrees with my view on executive power, on actually saying that the branches of government that report into the executive branch report to the president. He talked about draining the swamp. He didn't get there. But he did lay a foundation for a Supreme Court that agrees with that view. Well, I can use that court to when we're sued, when we shut down the Department of Education or any number of other agencies, when we are sued, we go to that Supreme Court and we win. Trump gets credit for that. But that's the foundation that I leave for the next guy who then has that judicial precedent locked in to actually be a president that was unconstrained. And so, so I think that this in the GOP, sometimes we, if I have one criticism of our party, it's that we obsess over this question of the who without actually asking the question of the what and the why. What do we stand for? And why do we actually stand for it? And it's not, I said that in there, I'll say it here. It's not being done by us. It wasn't done by Donald Trump. It won't be done by me. I also believe, I'm a person of faith, I believe it's being done through us. And I think that this idea of Trump is not a substitute for Christ. Okay, there is no Messiah in politics. A higher power is working through us to revive this great nation we have, one nation under God. And so part of our model is to actually restore that vision. It's us doing this. I'm a vehicle. You are a vehicle, right? You have been put here for a reason. I've been put here for a reason. It's happening through us. So, so build that trust. That's what this next year and a half is all about. But I do think that because we're all human, Eight years of trying to do what he did. I think Donald Trump's not the same person today that he was in 2015. Right. I, in some ways, I feel closer to Trump in 2015 than I think Trump is to Trump in 2015. But that's, you know, back to the election specifics. My question for you, and I'll bridge this to the question I have for you, is part of the reason I talk about national identities, I think that's an input to questions like the economy, input to how we stand up to China. I have real specifics on how we're going to do those things, but we have to believe in ourselves first. One of the foundations for self-confidence and belief is the nuclear family. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, and you can maybe, if, if you'd be so kind as to even afterwards follow up with some of these sources, et cetera, I promise you, we will be citing the correct facts. I just want to be, and I believe in four letter words like fact, it matters. So, so arm me with that and mm-hmm. we're good there. But let's actually talk about the solutions, right? So, so we, we share this belief that the nuclear family structure, so the numbers, you know, I said 70%, really the number's 41%. But, but more broadly, we do have a fatherlessness epidemic. It's not just black communities, right? It's a big problem in white communities and Hispanic communities right. as well. So let's talk about the solution. So, so you've clearly thought a lot about this yourself. You're clearly a smart person yourself. I'm all ears. Mm-hmm. If we agree that that is good, that we're not just running from something, we're running to something. And the family is a part of what we're running to. I was on Fox News this morning saying, I want to make the family cool again in this country, (laughs) right? I'm all ears, Christy. How do we do it? A lot of that work is not going to be done at the federal level, right? A lot of that work is going to be done in communities, for communities, by communities. But what you can do is you can help to get um, the progressive boot off of the neck of the family. And that is really what you talked about as far as shutting down a lot of those um, alphabet soup agencies, Mm -hmm. cutting through a lot of the regulations that, Mm -hmm. you know, help to um, destroy um, the the family or the mobility of our, our inner cities. That's what the federal government can do. But a lot of it is work that is gonna be done and is being done. There are, you know, I have a nonprofit that speaks to that. I can speak to a lot of people that have a nonprofit. Great. I agree that, with that. It's that going to be bottom to that. up. It's, of course, right. It's going to be bottom up. But yeah. as a president, potential president, hold true to what you said about getting rid of, you know, a lot of those alphabet soup agencies, you know, reforming or just getting rid. I mean, we have libertarian roots. Yeah. I heard you say that. So, yep. you know, we'd be we happy share that just, in common. Yeah. you know, nixing the you yeah. know, IRS altogether. Let Americans keep more of their money. But, you know, I understand, you know. But as minimalist as we need to keep it, I'm I'm with you on that. And and you know this is where on the on the on the point of trust and contrast, I think you need to un, like not you, I, mean, I think the president needs to understand how it actually works because part of what happens is those agencies they sneak in their budget requests to Congress. This happened to Trump, which come back with the word shall. It used to say the word may for how much they're able to spend. So even if Trump says he wants to shut it down, he got duped because the deep state was in bed with Congress. This is where, I mean, thank, thank you for the personal compliment, but it has nothing to do with me. Whoever it is needs to actually deeply understand how the process works, how it aligns with the Constitution to say that the budget requests will run through the White House, not directly go from the administrative state to Congress because that's how they get you. So that's why I think specificity actually does matter to get the job done. I think one thing, too, is you've been hitting DeSantis pretty hard about – um, tweeting for clout, you know, that he doesn't necessarily, you know, know what he's, he's, know what he know means, the why. know yeah. the why, but he tweets, you know, to kind of that dopamine hit. We feel the same way about you. Okay. Right. Sometimes. We being your follower base or, yeah. Yeah, my follower base. Sometimes when you put stuff out there, it really blows up on Twitter when it's more of the salacious stuff. And we don't need you to be salacious, mm-hmm. right? We need you to come with the solutions. We need you to come with like you said, exactly what are you going to do? You're going to get rid of some of the, the red tape. You're going to get rid of some of the progressive policies that mm-hmm. have been failing our cities, right? You're going to get rid of um, a lot of the, the bureaucracy. Mm-hmm. That's what we need you to, to tell Americans. So that way we can then, that are working in the community, that are working to bring people, because we're going to need to expand the base, right? 
And one more thing that I would like to say is we need you to remain to what you said about being transparent, right? About being like honest and open yes. and having this, like you didn't field my questions and, and I appreciate that. But when you do talk about, um, there, there's also a big breakdown with, um, when you talk about ending affirmative action, mm -hmm. right? Yep. And that being the gateway for a lot of people in the African-American community to obtain higher education. Um, it's a little, it, I don't know if honesty is the right disingenuous word. Disingenuous is maybe. It's a little disingenuous because we weren't told that you got a large, you know, scholarship from George Soros's brother, mm -hmm. you know? I, and Well, actually, um, and we can talk about this. You know, to talk, talk about in the open, let's, that's such a great occasion. To do. I see this on Twitter all the time. You know, when I'm 25 years old, grow up a family that didn't have a lot of money and somebody says you're a high achiever in college and you're going to, you have an opportunity to go to law school and someone whose last name rhymes with another guy who's a bad guy who's become a lot worse in the last 10 years says, here's a scholarship they give to 20 top kids in the country every year. Immigrants. Yeah. Only. Uh, first generation. First generation. First generation Americans. And they, they'll pay for a first year law school. I said, yes. You want to know why? Because I'm smart. You know, talk about Donald Trump and trust. He took a $160 million loan from George Soros loan for one of his projects as a full grown adult. I don't fault him for that because he's a businessman. He knows what he's doing. Now, if somebody's going to tell me what I can and cannot say, they can show themselves the door and shut it in the way out because I'm my own man. That's why I stepped aside from a multi-billion dollar company to actually pursue what I've been pursuing over the last three years when not a CEO in this country would do the same thing. So, you know, I'm open to having a conversation and I will do something that, and this is why I talked to, you know, why I'm open-minded about any other Republican that says they won't talk to NBC News right. because they're scared of getting some criticism. I think you got to, you want to, can't handle the heat, you stay out of the kitchen. You want to lead the country and represent Xi Jinping, you got to be able to take all degrees of criticism. That's why we're sitting here for a half hour too. Right. But you want to talk what, about facts. Let's talk about hard facts, because I think that's what we don't do enough of in this party. And we do have a lot of clickbait culture on Twitter. I agree mm -hmm. with you. And I think what that perpetuates a lot of BS. What African-Americans So I'm ready to say, cut through that. What African-Americans say about or what black Americans say about immigration is there are a lot of opportunities like the, mm -hmm. you know, Soros scholarship provided only to children of immigrants. There's a lot of different opportunities that. You know, so that's one thing that they you know say. What I, you they, know what wait, I would one, say? One yeah, you go thing. for it. Go the for it. Because I have is, an answer to that. We get it, get rid of all of it. <laughs> we're big Colorblind on borders. Colorblind across the board. We're big on borders, mm -hmm. right? We're big on build the we wall. We should be. I want you to come to Arizona. I, I, want, you to, I, I want you to see because I've been down there and I think it's a bigger problem. Oh, it's than, a huge problem. Than, than, than you think. But you got to see it. Oh, you yeah. You got to yeah. see it. Uh, I mean, then we'll come back. What happens is when the immigrants come over here, they plop them in the cities. Mm -hmm. They're not coming out here to the suburbs. And I don't even call them immigrants, right? That these are these are law violating it, acts, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. They're coming into the cities. Yep. So that's another that's another big area. Absolutely. And, and that's what, one of the things is the building the wall was never going to do it. Part of leveling up involves listening with an open mind and I, I took a lot away from this conversation, Christy, and if our goals really are as aligned as as this conversation suggests to me we are, then we're going to take the facts that you're providing to take us even further. Mm -hmm. But uh, my only, my only, um, my only ask of you is you, you're encouraging me to stay tethered to facts. Join me and let's both do it.
And I think that that's, um, you know, I think that that's something that each of us has to look hard in the mirror and ask ourselves whether it was, you know, emotion, proving a point, whatever it is, we're all human. I have that, you have that, we all have that. So let's, if more of us are committed to doing that together, grounded in truth, grounded in what's actually a hard fact versus not, versus what actually makes for a, a, a public point that we want to make. Yeah, look, I think we're all going to be better off as a country for it. And so- And I think I, I really had to dig to, to find, mm-hmm. you know, the, the Vivek mm-hmm. that I came to appreciate when I did my research. Mm-hmm. Like I had to look at the reason, the reason mm-hmm. interview was a great interview. Thank you. I it appreciate was, that. It was, it was a great interview. Thanks for, um, no, almost no one listened to that, but thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Libertarian yeah, roots. Yeah, that's good. Exactly. <laughs> it was a great interview. Thank you. But give us more of that. Okay. Give us more of the meats and the potatoes yep. and little less of the salacious. And you're probably going to find that you're going to have some ally because who, Trump was able to secure more black people over into the Republicans, especially black men. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you one last thing so I know we have to go. Yeah. Right before, um, I always say my husband is to the right of me, but he's non-political. He's dropping me off at the airport. He says, he gives, gives me a kiss and he says, I like Vivek. Oh, that's nice of him. Thank you. What's his name? What's <laughs> Cur- his name? Curtis. Curtis. Tell Curtis thank you for that. I appreciate it. I, <laughs> I will. So I think it, I appreciate that. You know, but he's a researcher. So he dug in and he listened to, you he's know. He's fact-based. I like he's that. He's fact-based. So. I like that. Well, I tell you this, Christy. The people I've, I mean, building companies, I lead. I push them. Mm-hmm. I push them hard. But sometimes I, what I will tell them is that's a two-way relationship. You push me back. That's the kind of relationship we're going to have with each other as citizens to level up as a country. So and I'm in for it. Listen to Adam. Adam with wrong speak. He told Adam you, Coleman, good guy. Adam Coleman. He said, lead with empathy. Yep. Don't be afraid to lead with empathy, even yeah. on some of them tweets. Yeah. I appreciate that. There's something about Twitter as a medium that just makes that inherently difficult. We, we, we will take this advice to heart. Part of what it encourages me to do is be more plural in the mechanisms we're using because social media, as reductive as it is, misses the kinds of conversations we're able to have like these in a room. I thank you, Christy. I appreciate it. I appreciate this. it. I appreciate you flying from Arizona to be with us here in Michigan. Appreciated the courage. Takes a lot to stand up face to face and speak truth to somebody who you don't agree with on 100% of things. I'm grateful for it. Thank and we're you. going to do more. This of is it. a great conversation. Yeah. Thank you, Christy. Thank I you. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. I'm Vivek Ramaswamy, candidate for president, and I approve this message. Paid for by Vivek 2024.